0: Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley.
1: Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, November the 15th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey along with my co-host Richard Hurley. We have lots of news of interest to veterans and their families this evening, so stay tuned. First, though, let's go over to Richard Hurley. Hello, Richard.
2: Hey, David. How are you doing tonight, and how's everybody Great. out there in podcast land? Yeah, we got a uh Good show for you tonight. We've got a bunch of different uh, audio tapes that I think will be uh, very informative for our listeners out there. And you know, this is a call-in show, so when you hear when you hear a tape, you know, call in and, and maybe there's something that uh, moved you about what you heard. And um, you know, but we can talk about it. You know, that number I'm sure you all have it in, the, in your brain there now. It's one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. Again, one 1- Triple eight, six, two, seven, six, six, zero, zero, eight. Uh, this is a good time for people to call in and, and tell us about what's going on in your case. What, what's happened with you with the VA? Maybe you have a case before the board of veteran appeals and you want to talk about it. Well, David and I are here to listen and, and, uh, fill you in and maybe we can give you some pointers. At this point, let's go back to David and he can start, uh, uh, putting those uh, tapes together.
1: Well, thanks, Rick. I also want to um, give our listeners a heads up. Our special guest next week will be retired Air Force Colonel Cesar Rico Rodriguez, a veteran of a couple wars, a fighter pilot who shot down a number of uh, enemy aircraft uh, during his combat experience. I think you'll find it a very fascinating show where he shares his insights about his Air Force career and gives advice to people considering joining the Air Force or the military, as well as advice to veterans who are leaving active duty. you know, and making the transition from military to civilian life. So that'll be next week. Uh, for tonight, though, we have uh, four segments courtesy of the United States Department of Veteran Affairs, and then after that, we'll have some news from Richard and myself. Each of these first uh, four segments touch on some current relevant topics for veterans. Now, this first uh, tape is from the VA's Health Administration, their weekly news. So, Doug, if you'll please roll the first tape.
3: The Power of Community, AI for Sicker Veterans, and VA Debt Relief. I'm Army Veteran Maria Godwin, and that's all coming up next on VA News. Across the nation, VA and community partners are helping to support the resettlement of Afghanistan refugees and allies by opening their homes and by donating goods and services. VA is dedicated to supporting the U.S. Department of State and Homeland Security through Operation Allies Welcome. Resources include Welcome.us, Veterans Making a Difference, Team Rubicon, the Travis Manion Foundation, Combined Arms, the American Red Cross, and more. For more information on how to assist, visit blogs.va.gov and research Afghanistan response. A few groups of VA researchers are using artificial intelligence to identify veterans at high risk of hospitalization or death. This can help ensure veterans get the best care possible. The team looked at the records of veterans already identified as high risk by VA's sophisticated care assessment needs calculator. The team used a type of AI called machine learning to read through the records. With machine learning, computers imitate human intelligence, solving complex problems that often involve huge amounts of data. Medical record reviews with machine learning can identify patterns beyond the reach of a doctor's traditional and time-consuming chart reviews. To learn more about this topic, visit blogs.va.gov and search artificial intelligence. If you owe money to VA for an overpayment related to veterans' benefits or for medical care and pharmacy debt and can't repay your VA debt right away, there are a variety of relief options available, including extending repayment plans, requesting debt forgiveness through the waiver process, submitting a compromise offer to settle the debt for less than the full amount, and requesting a temporary hardship suspension of repayment. If you need assistance with options for your VBA benefit debt, call the DMC at 1-800-827-0648. Veterans can also access benefit debt information, such as balance and debt letters, at va.gov manage-va-debt. That's it for this episode of VA News. I'm Maria Godwin. Thanks for watching.
1: thanks to Maria Godwin and the VA's Health Administration for that weekly uh, news segment. Uh, This next uh, tape deals with um, an issue that affects many veterans. You know, many veterans that rely on the VA health system for their medical care live relatively close to a VA clinic or a VA hospital. But then again, many other veterans do not. They live in uh, rural areas where there isn't a VA facility, Uh, Nearby them. So, this next tape from the VA's Health Administration's Office of Rural Health uh, addresses some of the problems and hopefully some of the solutions. So, Doug, if you'll roll roll the second tape, please.
0: Rural veterans are facing a growing health care crisis. Approximately 80% of rural America is medically underserved meaning there are not enough medical providers to treat the population. For veterans in these rural communities, provider shortages can mean longer travel times to the nearest clinic, limited access to specialty care, and less successful patient outcomes. To help VHA address these challenges, Congress established the Office of Rural Health to develop and disseminate best practices that improve the quality and availability of care for rural veterans. Under this mandate, ORH has designed programs to increase the number of quality rural clinicians, including the Rural Interprofessional Faculty Development Initiative, or RIFTI, the Rural Health Career Development Awards Program, or CDA, and the Rural Scholars Fellowship Program. RIFTI's specialized training program is designed to develop clinical educators' teaching and training skills by equipping rural clinicians with the tools to train the next generation of providers RIFTI aims to improve clinician recruitment, retention, and job satisfaction. These efforts help enhance the quality and availability of healthcare in rural veteran communities. Through RIFTI, 70% of the 40 most rural VA medical centers have added physicians to their staff to date. The Rural Health CDA program cultivates the next generation of rural health researchers through mentorship and financial support. Participants conduct independent research that helps shape the future of rural veteran health care. The Rural Scholars Fellowship Program offers providers in rural communities opportunities for professional growth and development. By increasing access to cutting edge mentorship and resources, the Rural Scholars Fellowship inspires providers to become leaders and innovators in their fields. The rural clinician shortage is a generational challenge But programs such as these can help provide rural veterans with what they need most, a robust health care workforce with the knowledge and expertise to meet their unique needs. To learn more about the Office of Rural Health and its workforce programs, visit their website at www.ruralhealth.va.gov. Well, thanks to the uh,
1: VA's uh, Health Administration Office of Rural Health for that um, for that uh, information about the program and veterans that uh, that live in rural areas with difficulty accessing health care. Of course, uh, there's the old saying, uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease, so speak up and uh, work together with other veterans and other veteran groups. Try to improve the situation for yourself and other veterans. Now, in this next tape, uh, we're going to hear from a Marine who served in the war in Afghanistan. This tape is courtesy of the VA's Make the Connection program which tries to uh, help veterans uh, with the stories of, of, of other uh, of other veterans and uh, their experience. So, Doug, if you'll please roll the third tape.
4: My name is Gino. I served in the United States Marine Corps from 1996 to 2004. And um, I was deployed with the 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit, um, pre pre-911, And, um, and then 9-11 happened, um, my birthday, by the way. And, uh, and then I was sent to Afghanistan for Operation Enduring Freedom. Immediately coming home, I felt, um, relieved and I felt like, um, I felt like everything was okay. And, um, my wife immediately noticed a change in my demeanor, my, uh, I was very distant with everything and, um, I was very reserved. Um, and before I left, I was very outgoing and very, um, you know, emotional and, you know, kind of person where my emotion on my sleeve, you know, you always knew what kind of mood I was in. And now I was very quiet and she couldn't tell if I was angry or sad or happy because it was just the same all the time. You know, in Afghanistan, it, I didn't sleep for a long time, you know we were constantly on alert um and the violence you so you go into a mode of vigilance that is just that's that's survival so it that doesn't go away when you leave um your mind is still you know you've had this this fear and it's been it's been set and now you have to do this to survive, so it didn't go away. I started working and um and that's when um when I got back into a work environment is when I started to notice things were not right. I started to feel the effects of anxiety and um I didn't know what anxiety was or what that meant. I just knew I wasn't feeling right and I, I felt like I was having a heart attack. Um I couldn't breathe and um so I drove myself to the VA and um immediately they told me, you know, you're you're fine. There's nothing. You're not having a heart attack and um and they said, we think you're having a panic attack. And, um, I was kind of desperate for something at that moment. Um, so I, I volunteered to seek, seek mental health treatment. So I was in and out of the VA. I wasn't sticking with the treatment though. I was kind of like going in for my appointment, being prescribed a medication and then kind of not really running that medication's course. And then at the end of it, I need something different. This isn't working. And, so that happened for about four years until um until rage started to come in the picture and um that's when I really started to kind of lose faith in myself and a lot of the shame and the guilt really started to kind of take over inside rage pushed me to the limit where I was like i need to I need to seek other avenues about this and um um but I wound up back in the VA hospital again. The best treatment I received, um, or the most effective treatment, was um, behavioral therapy with a psychologist. And I had a year-long treatment plan with her where I came once a week. And um, she taught me a lot about um, being present and doing things like um, breathing, controlling my breathing, and meditation, and being in nature, and just being aware of, of Of where you're at and it kind of, she kind of defined a lot of the things that, um, the textbook things that were, that were my triggers and my um, responses. You know, when you're in service, you have brothers and sisters that you depend on for your life and you develop really intense bonds, almost like a family. And then you get out and you're alone. You don't have that family anymore and you don't have those people around you that went through what you went through. So this is what all vets need. We need to be there for each other because that's how we survived combat. That's how we survived being in service was we had each other's backs. We were there for each other. So the VA hospital is not only a good tool for medical advice, but it's a good tool for getting that brotherhood. It's a process and it's a journey. It's a journey of learning how to cope, learning how to face and learning how to overcome. And all of the things that I've experienced with my treatment have given me knowledge to be able to do that. We're all the same. We've all served. We're all. We all should be proud of that. We should be proud not to have PTSD, but proud that there's other people out there that have overcome it and show others that it, you can overcome this and that we're there to help you walk.
1: Well, thank you to Gino and the VAS Make the Connection Program uh, for. Um you know, sharing that experience uh, as a Marine in Afghanistan, but also the challenges he faced coming home. Now, in this uh, final tape, this is also thanks to the VA's Make the Connection program. We hear from another Marine veteran sharing his experience after coming home uh, from the war in Iraq. So, Doug, if you'll roll the fourth tape, please.
5: My name's is. My I served in the United States Marine Corps from 1999 to 2004, and I was 35, 21 a uh, diesel mechanic. I was part of the Earliness Ready platoon, so we were charged with mobilizing the first meth um, and getting all of the gear to Kuwait and staged in the desert to, for this potential possible war with Iraq. So um, it was very surreal for me to be so young and be in a place of leadership and going to a country in anticipation of war, but not knowing if the war was actually going to happen. And within three months, we had hundreds of thousands of troops that had came in. So we we were responsible for offloading the ships and making sure all the gear was staged appropriately for the Army, for the Marine Corps, and then we invaded Iraq. So by the time I had gotten out of the Marine Corps, it was early 2004, and I had been accepted at the University of Oregon. Um, my field of study was going to be psychology. And so immediately coming out of the military, I had my my fall just stacked up with school. Spent most of my time that I wasn't at school drinking, trying to um, be happy because I knew I wasn't happy. And I didn't know why, but I didn't want people around me to know that I wasn't happy. So it made it easier for me to fill up my time with drinking, smoking, weed, doing any parties, anywhere that there was this fun environment. And what it was doing was pushing me down this cycle of not knowing how to ask for help, not wanting to ask for help. Um, I had my legs, I had my arms. It, I didn't want to cry about having some sort of mental struggle. I got stuck in this computer lab with this girl, and she just talked a whole lot. And so I was really trying to figure out the statistics, and she's like, the conversation came that I had just gotten out of the military. And uh she she was like, oh, did you go to war? And I was like, yeah. She said, did you kill anyone? And immediately, I mean, I didn't stay in that class long because I flipped out because it was such an insensitive question to ask anyone. And so I knew from that moment my reaction went from zero to a 100. And that kind of showcased how I would respond for the next 10 years to people. Um, when it came to my service in war, my service in the military. So I immediately quit telling people I was a veteran. I quit telling people that I was in the Marine Corps. So my five years of pride now went into this suitcase where I didn't want to talk to people, because people didn't know how to talk to me. And it's kind of crazy, because the people who do know how to talk to me, I also isolated myself from. I had come back from war, and I felt less of a veteran than I... Um, than other veterans, because what was being put on TV were the veterans that lost so much. And so my heart went out to them, and I would find myself in tears, but it also pushed me further into a hole. I just started popping pills with the hopes of not waking up, and I just woke up the next morning after I had taken about 11 of these pills, and my friend had stayed there, and he was like, oh, I didn't leave your side, something was wrong, and so that morning I ended up realizing after I threw all the pills away that I that something was really wrong, that to get to that point. And that was when I knew that no longer could I sit in this room and and pull the veil over my own eyes. The first experience I had with the VA was in Roseburg and they put me in a group therapy. And I sat there and immediately listening to these stories, I just got up and left because I didn't feel like I was that vet. I was like, oof, I'm sitting in a seat that should be sat by someone else. And so my therapist outside of the VA was like, Hey, have you told someone that sitting in those rooms aren't productive and beneficial? And I was like, no, why would I, why would I tell somebody that I can't sit in a room with brothers and sisters in, in arms? And finally getting pushed to actually go make that step and say, Hey, at the VA, I'm not, I'm not able to do this. This is what I'm feeling. I, I I don't feel like I'm I'm worthy. Kind of opened this this door for me to receive some of the best care, like my best primary care provider. Still to this date, I had somebody that was definitely willing to open the conversation on any topic, and then kind of engage. What am I doing at home versus what can she do at the VA that can kind of make these symptoms less problematic. And so I did uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and that was the the breaking point for me realizing that I couldn't hide from being a veteran. I couldn't hide from the war because it almost did more disservice to run from my experience than to validate it. I had to redefine my normal. I had to create a new normal for me and I had to be happy with that. And I had to let the VA help identify what these new normals were gonna be. The best message for any veteran is not to give up and to reach out. Reach out to that one person that you know for sure, hands down, loves you. And then not to be afraid to say that you're hurting and that you're in pain. And then be prepared for the process that comes with it. And whether it's inside or outside the VA, if you find somebody who's, who's helping you, then keep their number because you may have to pass on another vet to the same resource. And We just got to take care of each other.
1: Thank you to, uh, to Ian for sharing his, uh, his experience and thank you to the VA's Make the Connection program. The VA has a lot of resources and, uh, you know, some choices may not work for some veterans, but, uh, be persistent. Uh, VA resources, uh, through va.gov and ptsd.va.gov. We've had a lot of guests on the show over the last uh, few years that have talked about, um, Overcoming post-traumatic stress, um, talking about VA programs, talking about private group organizations like Camp Hope in Houston. Uh, so there's a lot of resources. The, the the key is to reach out. And also, if you're a veteran and you know another veteran uh, that's struggling, uh, reach out and, and offer some, some help. Uh, Rick, uh, let's go over and uh, to you and uh, get your thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, those are all great points. Um, you know the v a does have a lot of resources and and we've certainly put a lot of information over the last four years on our show of groups, uh, nonprofit groups, other kind of groups all over the country that are doing you know great great things for veterans and uh, you know you can reach out to them. Uh, i I think one of the things that my my personal observation when it comes to veterans is that um, they try. They try one or two things. It doesn't work for them. For whatever reason, they, you know, they just, you know, it's not a good mix, you know, personalities, whatever the case may be, you know, it's just, uh, it, it doesn't, it's not a good fit. And so the veteran just stops and the veteran, you know, doesn't pursue anything else thinking that, well, it didn't work the first time or the second time. So it's never going to work. And I'll just have to deal with it on my own, which is the worst thing you can do is to try to do things on your own especially when there are professionals out there who who know how to help you uh so you really have to you know any anything you got to anything with the VA you got to be persistent uh, David and I we have a motto when it comes to our claims patience and persistence and when you do that you you succeed so the same thing with you veterans when you're looking around out there for for different programs that might help you now that you're in civilian life Which is an adjustment, Um, uh, you know. Look out, you know. Keep keep pursuing things. Now, David, the other day I was listening to. This goes back to some of our PTSD um, topics that we've had. And this uh, veteran, he just finished a book. book. He was on these. He was being interviewed by Terry Gross, who's a great interviewer, and um, he just finished a book. He did five tours. Uh, he had, um, you know, PTSD, he's a combat veteran, and he um, used this. I never kind of really thought about this, Thought about expressing it this way. I know we talk about when you're in combat, there's a lot of hypervigilance. Well, he, he went a step further, and he said, it's like being on crystal meth when you're a combat veteran in Iraq or Afghanistan. And, um, and then you come home and, and now you're, you're away from, you're away from that, that experience, that, that hypervigilance that, you know, you're on the edge the entire time and you, you get adrenaline from that. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, the soldier almost wants it. It's almost like a drug for the soldier or, or, or alcohol or, you know, it, it's a, it's a dopamine effect. And you do that, and he was talking about you know why a lot of veterans keep going back for more and more and more deployments because they want that they they enjoy that that effect that hyper vigilance and, and and what it does to to the senses of of the soldier. But eventually you have to come home, and you still have that in your brain, but you're no longer a combat veteran or a combat soldier. You're just a veteran sitting at home. And he was talking about how that, then, you know, the veteran, instead of doing something for himself, let's, like we're talking about right now, he ends up just kind of sitting at home and gets more, more and more depressed and then maybe throws alcohol on top of it. And, you know, he starts to go down a rabbit hole that, uh, unless you are doing, you know, unless you are going into some of these programs like, that we've been talking about right now, and we just had those, those different audio tapes, it's, it's not a good place to go, and, and the end result for so many ve- uh, veterans is suicide. So, um I, th- I just thought that was an interesting analogy when he used the, the crystal meth, um experience, Um so veterans you know seek out the help that's out there you know don't don't go down that rabbit hole um, you know to to feel the way you feel is okay what's not okay is if you don't do anything about it feelings are okay and no anybody who who tells you not to feel that way you can tell them to go to hell because if you feel that way, you feel that way and you feel that way for a lot of reasons. But now you need to go out and, and get the help that you need. And like David just said with these audio tapes and our past shows, it's there for you. It's there for you. And, uh, so just go do it. Because Lord knows the alternative is not, is not an alternative. Okay, David. So I'll have it on that. You want me to go into some news?
1: I, no, I want to add uh, a couple other. Um,
2: yeah, go
5: ahead.
1: Topics real quick. Um, it's uh, this is shifting gears entirely, but it's a it's a problem with we see with the VA in the last few months. We talked about last week's show, but uh, had another reminder today uh, for a veteran that I'm helping. Uh, we got a decision from the Board of Veteran Appeals. I got in the mail today. And the decision had been, had been, rendered September the 30th. So it took the VA six and a half weeks and they're wow. fouled up, they're fouled up U.S. government, government printing office, um, to, uh, um, you know, when they're pushing their buttons to print documents and then have someone mail the documents and their contractor that the, that the government printing office, whoever the VA is contracted with has totally fouled Things up, and yes, the VA has had bailing problems. It seems like forever, but this is a distinctly worse problem that we've seen since about July. So this is a problem that you know that, that uh, it, it, it can't be blamed on prior administration. This is something that falls in the lap of of you know this current administration, Secretary McDonough, and people need to start complaining because it's really, really a problem. Um, you know, to get letters from the VA uh, literally months after they were dated. And, of course, about 95% of the time or more, the VA sends correspondence in envelopes that are not postmarked on the outside. So you cannot see when they were actually dispatched into the mail system. It's just in a government envelope. You don't know whether it was mailed three days ago, Three weeks ago, or whatever. All you know is that the date of the letter or the decision that's inside that unpostmarked envelope was six months earlier, you know, six weeks earlier. And of course, almost every VA action carries deadlines with it. I've had letters that with deadlines as short as 15 days in the in the middle of a processing of a claim, where they have notified the veteran that they're having trouble getting medical records from a civilian uh hospital, for instance, and they'll say, you know, we've tried twice, now it's your responsibility to get these records, and if we don't hear from you, we, we may make a decision as soon as 15 days. Well, fortunately, the VA usually doesn't make a decision that quickly, but the fact that you get a letter with a 15-day or a 30-day deadline, and you get it four weeks after that deadline has passed, is a problem. Um, but on other things like Board of Veteran Appeals decision, which we are routinely seeing six weeks after they're being made, um, you know, you may have 120 days after that decision, four months roughly, and you're getting it a month and a half or two months into that window of time. So it's um, a problem to be uh, uh, aware of. And my advice, as I mentioned uh, last week on the show. Is documented and documented by sending a letter to the VA, faxing it, uploading it to their website, access.va.gov, their, their secure portal for accessing, for uploading documents. Upload a letter. It's basically a letter where you're documenting, hey look VA, your board decision was dated September the 30th. I received it November the 15th. Just want to let you know that and I'm putting this letter in the veterans record, you know, for posterity so that a year or two from now, when someone's going over this and wondering, you know, you know, why wasn't there this response or that response uh, within this time frame, they'll know why. Um, so any event, uh, okay, Rick, that's all I had no, on that's that. Good. We have no, I, news.
2: no, that's good. That's good stuff because um, <clears throat> I'm I'm running into the same problem, and and you know, an, another problem that I'm running into, as long as we're getting on to problems. Um, Is I'm getting, and believe me, I I do a lot of BVA hearings, um, and I have no problem doing BVA hearings. Um, But it seems like you know, in the past, I actually would have communication with the coordinator to make sure that I was available on a day that you know we wanted to schedule a hearing. And again, I had no problem. Some days I had the whole I had the whole day with the judge from 8:30 until 4:30. No problem. I don't mind doing that. But I knew about it ahead of time, and I could schedule my calendar so that I could handle those cases. Now what I'm getting is I'm just getting hearing dates that conflict with my existing schedule. Uh, and the problem there is that there's nobody for me to contact at the Board of Veteran Appeals. I mean, I've got a, a number of different... Uh, coordinators that are in different regions and, and I'm forced to reach out to them to address a case that's not in their region and some of them are very nice and they try to help me out. Um, but in that case it's, you know, as, you know, one of the huge problems that the, that the VA and the board has is, is the lack of communication. And, uh, so now you're putting your, your, you're putting me in a bind, you put the veteran in a bind because we're not available. The veteran might not be available. You can't communicate with with the with the b v a you I can send a, I can fax a letter in. I can do all the things you're supposed to do, but you don't get anyone reaching back at you and saying, "I got your fax, I'm confirming I got your fax or I got your email, I'm confirming I got your email." and yes we'll grant the postponement let, it, let give me a couple of dates when you you'll be available and reschedule. Rick you let me ask that. what
1: are the quarters what are the coordinators cuz they have a, a a large number of of hearing coordinators um, what are the coordinators you know doing whenever you reach out to them saying look I got this letter in it and it's conflicting with my schedule.
2: What's happening now is the They'll wait till the morning of, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm in my office by five almost every day, and and I know they're all working by seven. So at seven o'clock, I'll shoot them an email, and lo and behold, I'll get a response. And that's just been happening, this problem for me has been happening now over the last, I'm gonna say two months. Prior to that, I had three coordinators that were in the southeast region that were terrific absolutely terrific so terrific that i had their i had their cell phone number and i could call them up on their cell phone unfortunately you know the va and, and in this case the bva in all of its infamous wonder transfer these transfers these people out of here and so the 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 one that was in saint pete is now in California. Not physically, but that's the region she's handling the one in Atlanta that I had uh she's now up in the up in the north area, and there's no rhyme or reason why they're moving these people around and it 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 causes a problem and I can tell you I've had this discussion with with the veteran law judges, and they don't like it. they have the same gripe, but they can't, there's nothing that they can say that's going to change the way who's ever, who's ever calling these shots, who's ever doing this, um, moving people around. Even the, even the veteran law judges can't tell them to stop it. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just more of a headache and it's one, it's one headache that I don't need. No one needs because, you know, we're just, you know, we're just trying to, you know, get, you know, get, get down into the trenches here and, and move these cases and help these veterans. And then when you get, when you get this stuff like David, you were talking about with the mail system and, and the lack of communication with the BVA, you know, these are all hurdles, unnecessary hurdles that, you know, David, you and I have been practicing law for 37 years and we're used to dealing with stuff like this. I can only imagine a veteran who, is not represented or doesn't have adequate representation. And when they throw their hands up and say, you know, I'm done with this, you know, I get it. I understand why they say that. Even though there's a pile of money sitting out there that's, that they're entitled to, the the, the the compensation for some for a lot of veterans just isn't worth the hassle of dealing with the VA or the Board of Veteran Appeals, and that's very sad.
1: Well, i think i think the board to its credit has been has been for the last couple of years been been making um higher quality more pro-veteran decisions but but this recent problem well, i agree with you problem, i have no problem this with recent decisions i know but, i think
2: the decisions are good
1: but the but in the last um four to six months this mail problem with the us mail but it's 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 not the us postal system now, I know a year or so with, with the COVID, the U.S. Postal Service may have been the source of some problems. I know that. But this problem right now is a problem uh, between the VA and uh, the government printing office that they've, they've, some fingers been pointed at them. I don't know. I don't know all the details of, of who else the VA has contracted with. But this problem has arisen, and I've seen emails from the VA on this, where they pinpoint July of this year, when this problem has has really started. And going back to your point about scheduling, you know, during COVID, uh, there was actually one positive side effect with the BVA, which was they they were really going full bore with these virtual live streaming uh, hearings that the veteran could do from his or her own home, his or her own computer. And you, the representative could be at your place, you know, and then the judge is up in the DC area working out of his or her home. And a lot of those, because the VA was trying to move cases, representatives like yourself and others, uh, you know, were being proactive and could actually schedule a lot of hearings. I think what, what eventually has happened in the last, um, six months or so is that the VA is starting to do more of scheduling cases where the representatives haven't been proactive, and that's where they're notifying people by mail, and they're realizing the VA knows this is a problem. They're they're notifying veterans and representatives who are not being proactive. They'll just send them a letter. But usually, Rick, you know this, that for years, the VA's, uh, the Board of Veteran Appeals hearing notification letters usually went out um, four to six weeks before the hearing. Well, that's great. They wanted to give you at least 30 days notice before the hearing date. Well, now, when the letters aren't arriving until, you know, six weeks after they're dated, they're arriving sometimes after the hearing, you know, and, and are you know, catching people by surprise. Uh, so that's um, – it just shows you that the strength of any system – this is the old saying, you know, it's only as strong as the weakest link – and we've discovered now a very basic thing that most people would take for granted, which is the 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 VA mailing documents to people or otherwise communicating with them and and they're rather um you know uh problematic situation that you describe, which is hearing coordinators that that are that are moving frequently and uh that tends to uh it's counterproductive to building, you know, Good coordination, you know, working everyone working together to try to get hearing schedules and and all that. So as you say, it's it's upsetting everybody, including the judges. So you know, it's it's unfortunate, but um, hopefully that uh, that the VA will will start soon to to fix this this ridiculous problem. But um, any event, well, that's all I had to say on that, Rick. I know we have a lot of news, so if you want to launch into some of it,
2: yep. Here we go. Another In some news here, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs announced November the 11th, 2021, that is piloting a comprehensive military exposure model to consider possible relationships of in-service environmental hazards to medical conditions. The goal of of this new model is to lower the burden of proof for veterans impacted by exposures and speed up the delivery of healthcare and benefits they need. The new model will continue to leverage scientific findings from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine available and relevant scientific research data, surveillance of veterans' health outcomes, and adding the review of VA claims data and military environmental research for trends and identify new concerns. At the direction of the president, the first conditions this pilot will actively consider are rare respiratory cancers and constrictive bronchiolitis. Consistent with his demands, VA anticipates answers on these conditions by mid-2022. We are seeking more information from veterans, more evidence from more sources, and looking to take every avenue possible to determine where a potential presumptive illness based on military service exposure may exist in a more expedient and holistic manner, said VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. We want all veterans who may have been impacted to file a claim, even if it was previously denied. The presumption decision model pilot will run from November 15th to April 1st, 2022. VA will look to use the results of the pilot to formalize the model after April 1st, 2022. After the last six months, VA has has extended benefits and services to veterans impacted by military exposures through to Agent Orange and particulate matter. If a veteran has a condition they believe is attributed to an event during military service, they are highly encouraged to file a claim. More information about VA benefits and eligibility or how to file a claim may be found on VA's website at www.va.gov or calling calling toll-free at 1-800-827-1000. David, this is an important point. Um, this one, uh, if a veteran has a condition they believe is attributed to an event during military service, they are highly encouraged to file a claim. You know, I and, and David, I know you have had the same experience. You get these veterans, and they, their condition may not be on the presumptive list. So they they they're told by other veterans, well, you know, you're not entitled to any any compensation because you know it's not on the presumptive list ignoring the fact that if you get a nexus letter uh, from a doctor, that may um, be sufficient enough to get service-connected uh, for that different disability. So, um, you know, and, and then, you know, and we've had cases where, and we've had cases dealing, dealing with veterans in Vietnam where they weren't on the presumptive list, but they got cancer, uh, they were in Vietnam, and after we... Took the case and took it up to the Board of Veteran Appeals. The court still turned around and said, yes, yeah, it's not on the presumptive list, but the circumstantial evidence is there, and it's clear that this veteran obviously uh, got the cancer from his experience in, in in Vietnam." So, yeah, if you veterans, if you believe, if you think that you have a condition that is attributed to your service, and it's not on the presumptive list or other people are telling you, say, no, 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 uh, don't be persuaded by that. Uh, file your claim. You know, get to a lawyer. You know, most lawyers know what they're doing when it comes to the complicated cases. So get to a lawyer and and make sure you pursue it because you may be denying yourself um, compensation for that particular condition. Back to you, David.
1: Thanks, Rick. Um, this next item of news uh, will be of uh, interest to veterans uh, that want to uh, give feedback to the VA about the VA's um, healthcare uh programs and health care just in general. Um, I've helped a lot of veterans over the years, and many of them are very, very happy with the VA healthcare system. system. Um, sometimes not, and sometimes in those situations, they have really good reason to be uh, really upset about it. Um, this next item of news uh, is from a press release from November the 4th, 2021. The VA announced it published uh, two notices in the Federal Register asking for uh, the public's comments on the VA's access to health care standards and also standards for health care quality. Uh, these, these notices were also briefed to Congress uh, and these notices solicit uh, public comment, meaning hopefully from veterans and veteran groups, on the VA's current access standards and standards for quality to ensure that uh, the most up-to-date uh, and applicable uh, care is being uh, provided to, to veterans. Current VA Secretary Dennis McDonough said, uh, quote, uh, VA will continue... To work to fully implement the VA Mission Act of 2018, removing, I'm sorry, reviewing standards for care and access standards is a key part of that implementation and helps ensure we are providing information that veterans and caregivers need to help them make the best informed healthcare decisions so they get the care they need when and where it is appropriate." Information uh, on these notices uh, about the VA standards for quality uh, can be viewed on uh, the website regulations.gov. Information on the VA healthcare access and quality is also available on the VA's Access to Care website, which is accesstocare.va.gov. Now uh, that website includes information in different categories, including access to care at individual VA facilities, a quality of care comparisons for VA and non-VA care, a search tool to find VA providers by location, a patient satisfaction information provided by veterans about their experience using VA health care, and information about overall access to care within VA. Again, the VA's Access to Care website is access accesstocare.va.gov. Now, the VA says it greatly values feedback from our veterans and the public, and it will review closely the comments it receives uh, to evaluate uh, these access standards and quality standards. The VA says it also will be conducting a broader internal review of the standards for quality in fiscal year 2022, which is the fiscal year that just started, October 1st, to ensure they're up-to-date, they're in alignment with uh, VHA and industry changes in metrics, and to address veteran priorities. So if you have um, an opinion and you have uh, insight that you want to share, uh, do that. And again, you can get more information about uh, this on access Gov. So back over to you, Rick.
2: Thanks, David. On Wednesday, October 27, 2021, the Department of Veteran Affairs announced that it has extended the presumptive period to December thirty first, 2026 for qualifying chronic disabilities rated 10% or more resulting from undiagnosed illnesses in Persian Gulf War veterans to ensure benefits established by Congress are fairly administered. If an extension of the current presumptive period was not implemented, service members whose conditions arise after December thirty first, 2021, would be substantially disadvantaged compared to service members whose conditions manifested at an earlier date. Limiting, limiting entitlement to benefits due to the ex- expiration of the presumptive period would be pre- premature, given that current studies remain inconclusive as to the cause and time of onset of illnesses suffered by torsion Gulf War veterans. VA presumes certain medically unexplained illnesses are related to Persian Gulf War service without regard to cause, including chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, functional gastrointestinal disorders. Also included are undiagnosed illnesses with symptoms that may include but are not limited to abnormal weight loss, cardiovascular disease, muscle and joint pain, headache, menstrual disorders, neurological and psychological problems, skin conditions, respiratory disorders, and sleep disturbances. Gulf Persian Gulf War veterans who are experiencing any of these symptoms listed above and other unexplained medical issues are encouraged to file the claim. Back to you, David.
1: Uh, Thanks, Rick. Um, The VA announced um, several weeks ago uh, that it's offering the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson Janssen COVID-19 vaccine booster shots, uh, expanding on a previous authorization, that include the Pfizer BioNTech booster. Uh, if you want uh, more information uh, about um, the COVID-19 vaccines, you can go to uh, the VA website on that, which is va.gov forward slash health dash care forward slash COVID 19 vaccine. Or just contact your local VA facility or contact directly your you're a VA primary care team, so you have a lot of choices to find out what's available. Uh, one other item before I turn things back over to Rick Hurley about the coaching and the care is that um, starting uh, last month, October the 1st, the, the VA announced that it will resume notifications um, regarding overpayments, debt collections, in other words. In some situations, veterans owe money, they were, they were overpaid for benefits or they have, um, payments due, medical co-payments due. And, um, as many veterans know or may recall that, uh, when the COVID pandemic started, uh, the VA deferred those debts and collections starting April 6th of 2020 and continued deferring those through September 30th, 2021. Well, beginning October 1st, about six weeks ago, uh, the VA announced that it's going to resume those things. So uh, you may be receiving, if you're a veteran, you may be receiving uh, debt notification letters. Hopefully they won't be delayed by a couple months. But if you have uh, questions about that, you need some help, you need to know what your options are for some financial relief, uh such as a repayment plan perhaps a waiver uh based on uh, hardship financial hardship for instance then uh they have a couple toll-free numbers you can reach out to one for uh, benefit debt information uh you can call 1-800-827-0648 that's for benefit debt information 1-800-827-0648 now, for medical care and pharmacy services copayment debt, uh, they have a different number. This is through the VA's Health Resource Center at 1-866-400-1238. So if you have a question about a copayment debt for medical care or pharmacy services, VA Health Care Resource Center, 1-866-400-1238. Uh, Rick, um, over to you. I know you're about out of time, so we may want to go to the Coaching
2: and the Care. Yeah, Coaching in the Care program. This program helps veterans having difficulty transitioning to home life. Returning home can be a tough adjustment, and loved ones can help. Coaching in the Care offers free coaching to help you help your veterans. Give the program a call. The number is one 888 hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Again, the Coaching in the Care program the number is one 888 This is another one of those things that Dave and I were talking about earlier tonight. Utilize these types of programs. This is a great program. So pick up the phone and call them, 1-888-823-7458. Finally, I'd like to once again remind listeners that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs also has a veteran's crisis line. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not get the help they needed, Help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line can help. That number is 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Back to you, David.
1: Thanks, Rick. Uh, hope everyone will tune in next week. Our special guest will be retired Air Force Colonel Cesar Rico Rodriguez, uh, fighter pilot, combat veteran. Uh, it's time for us to go for this evening. I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Veterans News Hour. I'd like to thank our producer at BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. Tune in next week. Same time, same station, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, here on bbsradio.com, Station 1. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.